Hey everybody, time for another Shop Talk show. It's episode number 248. We're going to be talking about AMP. You know AMP, right? Everybody's talking about it. Is it good for the web? Is it bad for the web? It's certainly fast, right? Uh, we're going to have an absolutely fascinating discussion with two guests and Dave and I on all things AMP. It really is a fascinating discussion. Uh, I know that because recorded audio is weird and that even though you're listening to this part first, this Chris that's saying these words already had that conversation. And I recorded this later, and that's just how recorded audio works sometimes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? This episode is brought to you in part by Rollbar. Rollbar.com is the URL. It's error tracking software for your apps, which is totally vital. Let's say your app has an error. A user triggered that error somehow. They uploaded something weird. They put something weird in a form. Uh, they hit a URL that was unexpected. Uh, they typed something weird. They clicked something weird. They scrolled something weird. Something weird happened on your app and they saw an error page. Do you know that? Do you, how do you know that? Did you code something in there that like emails you when an error is thrown in your app? Uh, maybe you did, but that's kind of crazy because what if it's a fairly high traffic app and like you got 5,000 emails for it or, you know, it's just that's not how you track app errors and apps these days. You track them with software that watches for all these errors and tracks them and counts them and shows you when they happened and shows you stack traces of when they happened. So error tracking software is great. That's what Rollbar is. You should sign up for it. They have a 14-day free trial. Go to Rollbar.com. Check it out. We'll tell you more about that later in the show for now. Dave, kick things off. Hey there, Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front and web design development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is my esteemed, just push out the redesign colleague, <laughs> Chris Clare. Yeah. Hey, how are you? I'm fantastic. I can't wait. I'm still emboldened by your choice to just. I'm just going to do it. I'm just doing it. Oh, yeah. You know, it makes me it makes me envious, too. You know, there's a number of there's lots of, of design blogs. And like I consider like myself pretty, pretty friendly and friends with all the, the whole team at, at Smashing Magazine. I think they do a good job. And like they're in the middle of a redesign. And I've been seeing like screenshots of it and like the process behind it and all the people involved and stuff. I'm like, I'm like way envious, you know, like. This is this is how a redesign is done, you know? It looks beautiful. It's not out yet. I think it will be soon, but I'm like, that took months and meetings and planning and designers and developers. And I'm like, just just so everybody knows, the, my redesign took me a long weekend and a couple of Diet Mountain Dews. So <laughs> few, not, few a, not exactly DM, a pro. DMDs, we call them. <laughs> DMDs? Yeah. Okay. DMDs. I'm really excited about this episode. It is, um, you know... We have a, a hashtag we occasionally use at Chop Talk Show, um, hashtag hot drama. And it, it, it's just unavoidable in this one uh, because the, the subject at hand, as you can see probably from your podcatcher of choice, is AMP. 
AMP stands for Accelerated Mobile Projects. It's a big kind of multi-company effort to make websites faster. We're going to learn a lot about it in this episode and talk about the, I, I just, I have to call it drama that surrounds it because there's a lot of strong opinions that fly around on whether it's good or bad. Uh, but, but you know, there's so, there's so many different ways that that argument plays out. Um, that we're just, we'll just, you'll just have to wait and get into us. We have some guests joining us that um, probably know a lot more than Dave and I about AMP. So uh, 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 let's introduce them right away. We have Paul uh, uh, Bacchus, right? Did I screw that up? Hi, Paul. No, that was perfect. Thanks. Nailed it. Uh, hey, Paul, what is your role and stuff in AMP? Uh, so I'm, a, I'm, the, uh, I'm heading up a team called AMP DevRel. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I'm kind of the bridge between the outside and the inside. I work with both the AMP team in internally, um, basically, um, bouncing off the feedback back and forth, um, what, uh, people are saying outside, um, and working with developers outside to make sure that AMP is the solution they need. So yeah, I'm, some people call me the voice of AMP, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of roles in one. Yeah, probably a perfect person for this show because you're, you know, quite a developer yourself and now are on this team at Google. And Google has a lot to do with AMP, although not exclusively, I think. Well, maybe we'll get to that in a minute. And um, so, and your website happens to be an AMP site, <laughs> I noticed. That's correct, yeah. Uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. Our other guest is Barb um, Pulser. Did I have to get you, that right? You got that right. Thank you. Hi, Barb. How are you? Hi, doing well. Thanks. Uh, and Barb, um, coming at us from the Bay Area, you have a startup that is uh, has a lot to do with AMP, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, everything to do with AMP. So our company is Relay Media. Uh, we are a high fidelity converter for accelerated mobile pages. So we have built a really robust engine for converting standard mobile web content to AMP format. We were founded about a year ago, just over a year ago. I'm one of the co-founders, also head of product. And we have really spent uh, the last 12 to 18 months doing nothing but AMP 24-7. Uh, our, our, you know, it, it is all AMP all the time. Uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of where we live is sort of at that, that sort of juncture of, you know, the, the technology and the product of AMP and how publishers are thinking about it strategically and how it impacts, you know, both, both their business and audience engagement performance. Okay. Thank you. Um, there's a lot of places we could start here, but I think it's it's kind of required that we that we define it because I'm sure there'll be some folks out there that that just would you know don't know what we're talking about and 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 need some some base before we move move forward and that's good. I, Paul, you're probably pretty qualified for that. Can it be summed up pretty quickly what AMP is? Uh, I think so. I mean, do, do, depending on who you ask, you might get a different answer. So uh, I'm trying to make it short. Uh, so AMP is, a, is an ecosystem of essentially three components. Uh, one is the AMP.js library. Uh, the other one is the, is the AMP cache. Um, and then uh, the third one is the AMP HTML um, spec, as we call it. And, and so um, you have a spec of web components. Uh, and, uh, and those web components... Uh, sometimes are new components that create high-level components like a sidebar and an accordion, but sometimes are also replacements for existing things like images. And then you have the AMP.js library on top who uh, 
uh, that transforms those components into something that is visible on screen uh, and makes sure that you're staying on a fast path. So essentially, it's a way to uh, make really fast web pages that can be delivered efficiently to all sorts of platforms. Uh, the, the cache on top then uh, further accelerates the delivery and allows you to do certain things like smart pre-rendering on the actual platform. And I'm happy to talk more about that afterwards. But yeah, so in, in, in long story short, it's a way to make uh, very, very fast web pages that are fast by default uh, and hopefully user-friendly by default and allow platforms to easily integrate them into whatever product they want to build. The speed is the is probably the number one thing we're talking about, Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's 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 the number one thing, but it's not the only thing. Okay, how do you do, Barb? How do you? Yeah, think about it? yeah. No, I I think that uh, that the first thing I would say is very much you know what Paul said. It it is a fast, high performance uh, standard for mobile web pages, which which the ecosystem badly needs. And so hopefully we'll talk about some of the problems that AMP is intended to solve. Um, but to sort of to build on one of the other points that he made, I think a critical piece of AMP is the the open source nature of AMP and the ecosystem participation, uh, because having a fast mobile page is meaningless if it doesn't generate revenue or accomplish a publisher's you know business needs. Uh, and so the fact that there are well over I think 150 uh, outside companies, ad tech companies, analytics companies, etc., participating in AMP so that those pages are not only fast, but also deliver business performance is a, is a key piece of it that probably isn't talked about enough. I think, uh, I mean, for me, it sounds, I think, let's, I, let's jump in. Let's identify the problems that AMP is trying to solve. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective, Barb. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, to, to give you a little context, uh, you know, my background is really working in the digital publishing space um, for the last, uh, uh, let's just say, a lot of years. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and it was really seen, you know, I think we're kind of at a sort of an inflection point, um, in the, uh, sort of the, the, the digital content monetization, um, economy, particularly for ad supported publishers. Uh, and so what that means is that, you know, basically up until this point, I think we all recognize that the current mobile web is, is sluggish. It is burdened by accretive layers of code, by performance taxing, third party scripts, um, you know, so of all these components that result in pages. I think Google did a study recently, um, that showed that the average mobile web page was taking, uh, I think a, an average of 19 seconds to load. Um, when a page takes 19 seconds to load, that drives a high bounce rate, a high abandonment rate. Um, users aren't staying on the page long enough to, to actually consume the content, let alone the ads. That's the big problem. The reason that problem is becoming acute right now uh, is that the, uh, so the, 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 the advertising marketplace um, is shifting to actually demand performance metrics, um, meaning it, it actually now matters whether that ad is seen by human eyeballs or not. Um, so after many, many years of you know, selling advertising purely based on volume and impressions um, without a lot of accountability, um, there's now sort of emerging a much higher level of accountability in the system where ads actually need to be seen by people, which means that people actually need to spend time looking at the, at the mobile web page and not bouncing right away. So I think kind of those circumstances are sort of what's leading to this critical moment where 
we now have to make the mobile web user friendly in order for it to be viable. Is, the, is this all this to say the, the mobile web has, is is failing in a way? And that there's these that's it's not controversial to say that a website that takes 19 seconds to load is bad and nobody's going to go there and no money's going to be made and it's not going to sell any widgets and all that. It's, type of stuff. Yeah, it's 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 you know it's found and again I said I think up until now it's sort of we've we've been able to sort of sort of sort of ignore that or push that aside and I think that that can't be ignored anymore. Um, so is that what AMP is then is saying that that's failed and there is no path forward to fix that we can't fix that so somebody has to come in wipe it off the map and say this is how you build websites now because obviously y'all ain't gonna do it right you know is that i mean is that is that too strong well well, i I think one of the elegant you know sort of sort of things about the way that amp is evolving alongside the mobile web um is that it yes and on you know on the one hand is a reset um, but it's a reset that has broad enough participation that we can actually sort of develop this new standard and make it pervasive quickly. Um, while at the same time, you know, an AMP page typically exists alongside a standard mobile page. Um, so publishers and sort of the rest of the ecosystem have time to, you know, mature both their strategy and implementation of AMP. Um, and then, you know, yeah, I mean, ideally, personally, it, it's, it seems to make all the sense in the world that it become the new publishing standard. So it does, it, 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 you said, stands alongside the normal page. And that, that seems about right. I think that most sites out there probably, if they're doing it, are doing it that way. They have enabled some third-party service. They're using a third-party service. Or their website's on WordPress.com or something, so it automatically is using AMP. Or they've installed some plug, Or they've done something that's kind of has automatically made them an AMP page, or they're a big enough of a company that they've made themselves uh, alternate version of their website that that's AMP. That's would you are we all agree that's kind of the normal way that AMP is run. There's their normal website and there's the AMP site. Uh, yeah, I would say it's the normal way. Um, currently, I don't think it's the best way. <laughs> I, I mean, I noticed, you know, poking around your site, you're, you don't have that approach. It's a single code paste on you on your personal site. Is that, I mean, that's, you know, a lot of times people are like, hey, that's cool for a developer site or whatever, but can Vox.com do that? Yeah, uh, they could totally. I mean, uh, depending on, so this really depends on whether, whether um, companies, you know, prefer to still continue having the same experience on desktop and uh, that they had before, you know, with lots of analytics and, uh, and all sorts of scripts that um, block rendering, um, or whether, whether they can actually get away. I mean, if you're just publishing static content, uh, the evaluation would be, can you get away with, um, with the set of things that AMP provides? Um, can you get away with just not writing custom JavaScript? And if you can, then, uh, there's and there's a really good reason to build just one AMP page. I mean, responsiveness is built in into AMP. It's very easy to build a desktop site with AMP. Okay. But yeah, um, on the on the on the on the going back one step of uh, of of AMP, you know, essentially becoming a standard for publishers. Um, I actually this might be surprising, but I see it uh, a little bit differently. Um, I I I do see AMP as sort of a wake up call. But I also see it as a as a stopgap measure, of sorts. So um, I I looked at it obviously fairly closely, and I don't think that all of it is the the right long term solution um, for the health of the web uh, at large. Um, but but I do think 
that it is the only solution that we have right now to to kind of rescue the the publishing web. Uh, so far, I even from the from the from the um, most uh, um, from the loudest uh, um, uh, criticizers of AMP, I just have not heard any good counter proposal. <laughs> and so uh, I think the the right approach here is to uh, take the learnings of AMP and then in the long term convert them into web standards. Okay, so that's the idea of that it evolving along with the with the mobile web, as Barb kind of said. Well, that's my idea, and I'm trying to uh, to push it very hard. Uh, but um, but yeah, I I I want the web to win. I want I want the web to just uh, eventually stabilize itself and and become uh, friendly to the agenda of uh, of a great user experience and great publisher experience. I think there's probably people out there that think it's an it, that consider it an enemy to the web. That it's not. It's like amp winning is is not a win for the true. web. True. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of people like that. Yeah, and I and I think I think that's you know one of the most complicated discussions around AMP um, sort of has to do with this you know sort of either either just a sort of fundamental misunderstanding of what it is or uh, you know a tendency to want to conflate it with uh, proprietary formats foremost among those Facebook instant articles. Um, and so, for example, you will often hear a comparison or sort of the notion that AMP is Google's answer to Facebook instant articles, um, which is probably one of the best things and also one of the worst things that, that could have happened. Because um, on the one hand, it created a simple frame of reference uh, sort of for people to understand, okay, they're both sort of based on the premise, on the sort of premise that High speed and performance equals user engagement, which is a better outcome for both users and the business side. So that, you know, the, that, so those fundamental principles are aligned. Um, but on the other hand, it's totally different, you know, in the instant articles, uh, you know, that's a proprietary environment that Facebook controls for its business purposes that publishers feed content into, whereas an AMP page is just a web page. Um, and I think because there's such a strong association right now with, between AMP and where it surfaces in Google's environment, um, that the fact that AMP is not just a Google product is is missed. Well, let's do that part for a second. People think of as AMP as 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 Google's baby or a total Google project or whatever. Is that a uh, do you want to address that in some way? Because it, it seems like even if it, even if the answer is no, it's not. The answer must be like, well, but it kind of is, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I've gotten a lot of a lot of uh, uh, flack for for my uh, for a blog post I did recently uh, called um, uh, 10 Misconceptions About AMP," um, where uh, where one of the titles was uh, "AMP is not a Google project," um, and I think the 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 one thing that was misleading was the title. The actual content wasn't misleading, but the title was slightly misleading. Um, in fact, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. The it's true that all the core contributors to the project are currently Googlers. However, uh, AMP has not been uh, created internally at Google. It's been created together with a lot of publishers um, in a in an open forum. And, well, but and it, so it didn't start out open. It was kind of created in a back room. Right. And then it was like, hey, we made this thing and we're going to 
put you well, on yeah. this camera. I mean, I, so I wasn't in that f- in in those first discussions, but yeah, I think we pitched the idea uh, to to the digital news initiative, and uh, and then worked with the publishers whether figuring out if that's actually the right thing to do. And uh, the feedback was pretty positive, and then we went along with it. I think that if I remember correctly, that's how it went down. Um, but then, um, yes. So the the answer really is. It's essentially a Google-led project right now. So we have a lot of Google uh, contributors working on it. Um, And unfortunately so far, no outside core contributors. We have a lot of contributions from the outside world, but no active core contributors to the project that work on it on a daily basis. That is really unfortunate and something we'd like to fix. Um, we, Mm -hmm. we We are... uh, you know, fifty percent, I, I guess, is on our side. Uh, the other fifty percent is just, you know, on the other side, um, trying to just get more interest in the project. But but there are a couple of things that we're doing to to make, you know, to turn from an open source project, as I call it, into an open project, because you know that's a difference. You know, if you if you do open source, that's not the same as you know actually open collaboration, right? Where you know, all the design processes are done in the open, where all the team meetings are done in the open. And and we'd, we're well on the path to doing all of that, to actually opening everything up. So, okay, that's that. And then, there, so there's, there's a, a slight difference between where it came from and who's actively working on it right now. But there's also the, the idea that how do you land on an AMP page from a UX perspective? To me, it seems like there's pretty much one way. You're on a mobile device, you use Google as your search engine and you look for something, uh, and then the link might have a little AMP logo next to it and you click it and you get the AMP version. It seems to be just about the only way. If you're, if, you know, if, if you have a no, like a quote unquote normal website and an AMP version of it, the only way to land on the AMP version of it is through that process I just described, right? Uh, not completely true. So I think that that's probably the 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 you know biggest uh, traffic that um, that people will see when they publish AMP pages. However, um, if you happen to be a Bing user and uh, search for something on Bing, you might also get an AMP page. Okay, so other search engines. Buy into the Other search engines, uh, Pinterest has started using uh, uh, consuming AMP pages. Um, Twitter has started doing it. Um, so there's 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 a few platforms uh, enabling it now. Sure, you know about that, Barb. Yeah, yeah, no, I would I would add on to that. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a news aggregation app called Nuzzle, which has been linking to the AMP version of pages for a long time. Um, the, you know, the, the, the way that AMP works for most publishers is that your canonical web page has, uh, you know, an HTML tag in it, in the header pointing to the AMP version of that page. So anyone can discover your AMP page, um, you know, by, by, you know, essentially looking at the source of your standard page. And what we, what we expect and what I really hope happens, because I, I definitely agree that in terms of AMP's sort of long-term success and survival, you know, it needs to become, um, you know, more pervasive outside of Google's environments. Uh, what we hope will happen is that other platforms and refers uh, will realize that the best experience for their users is to point that user to a page that loads in milliseconds, not a page that loads in 19 seconds. Uh, and we'll start preferring the AMP version of pages. And so I think that that is one of those steps that Paul was talking about toward, you know, sort of, you know, making AMP a, you know, sort of a, a broader standard from a perception standpoint than it is today. 
I've read. So there's here's here's uh, some some articles that have been published recently that are that are that are against it. Okay, why publish AMP pages? The problem with AMP, Google AMP is not a good thing. All of them in the in the case of those three focus on. Well, they hit up on a bunch of things, right? But they're um, they they mentioned this one big one, right? And it's that, so, and I just did this just to, just to prove to myself that it works. I'm kind of interested in this is this, um, I, I went to my phone and I went to Google my default search engine and I typed misconceptions about AMP, knowing that Paul, you've written that article and that's clearly, it's been linked to a lot and stuff. So of course it comes up as number one and it has the AMP icon mm-hmm. on next to it. Cause it's just Google knows that it's an AMP site or whatever. And I click it and I go to the web and it loads very fast and it's a good experience and I can read the article. It looks great. If I go to the URL and tap the URL bar on my phone, it, it really is not your website. It's HTTPS, google.com, slash amp, slash s, slash paul, bacchus.com, slash whatever the rest of your URL is. And then there's some extra stuff at the end telling what browser I came from and stuff. So I think, I think people are worried about that. It's like, it's, I literally haven't left google.com. And that, I think that feels freaky. It's like, not only do I have to load a JavaScript library from google.com for some of these like custom elements and stuff to work. I have to, like, I don't even go to their website. I never leave Google. And it just feels weird, right? Is that, can you speak to that? Is that the AMP cache part of the equation? Yeah, uh, that is the AMP cache. Uh, it's interesting because depending on uh, on whether you ask developers and whether you ask users who are not developers, you get different answers for why that is a concern. So for instance, developers developers care a lot about you know, the origin model and, and the URL uh, being obfuscated. Um, users uh, care about, uh, you know, the share p- process sometimes being being broken, uh, the share flow, and, and also, you know, the feeling that the, the AMP page they're looking at doesn't seem to be um, as feature-rich as the original site. And so they, they try to find ways to click through to the original site not realizing that the publisher, when they opt into AMP, is saying, this is my page. This is the page that I want you to look at. <laughs> so it's, 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 a, it's a tricky situation. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the reason why you're seeing a google.com URL or an, an, a cdn.ampproject.org URL, uh, depending on the platform, is, is the AMP cache. And uh, the AMP cache exists for many reasons. I mean, and, and one of those, you know, uh, you know, correct me, Paul, is, is ensuring that when an AMP is delivered to a user, it's a validated AMP, um, you know, meaning it actually works as expected. I've heard that as a criticism as, as well, is that so, that mal, malformed AMP HTML can kind of be a problem and that that it isn't entirely rare. One of the one of the articles points out a situation that if people use like a table element, uh, like on a WordPress.com blog, maybe this has been fixed, maybe it hasn't. That something about the AMP version then of that blog post or whatever it is is busted in HTML, and it gets them into kind of some kind of weird situation that's hard to get out of. That's an interesting problem. Yeah. Um. So initially we had some uh, where well, we fixed a few bugs. Uh, I think search fixed a few bugs so that less uh, less um, uh, error messages are shown to users uh, when they click on invalid AMP pages because that really should never happen. So the, the the two scenarios that should happen is either you have an valid AMP page and then the AMP page is shown on whatever platform it supports or 
you don't have a valid AMP page, in this case, we just treat it as a normal web page and don't show the AMP logo or whatever and don't don't show it in the in the cached viewer. Um, in this case, we just treat it as... Yeah, you'd recognize there's a problem and just be like, nah, we're not going to send people. Well, there. we're still going to send people there. We're just not... So to the actual site that is linked, the canonical site, we're just not... We're pretending it's not an AMP site, okay, basically. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so because we can't make any guarantees about it. If there's JavaScript in your page for some reason, you know, that we have no idea about, then that could slow the entire page down. We just don't know. And so we can't we can't validate it. Um, but but yeah, the, the case where a user clicks on a link and then sees uh, um, uh, an unhappy robot that's not smiling, um, um, that is kind of a really unfortunate case. And the the only reason that I think this could still happen right now is if you have published AMP pages that are valid and they're being indexed by Google or by another search engine. And then uh, for some reason, you do another change on your page uh, and you render it invalid and the the index just doesn't catch up quickly enough. So I think that that is probably the only reason why why you would still see those things as a user. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Rollbar. That's rollbar.com slash shop talk show. That's the URL you want to go to to get three months of their bootstrap plan for free. Rollbar is all about error tracking. It does an amazing job of that. So you, you know, it's really easy to integrate too, and it integrates into any application, you know, JavaScript, which is Ember, Angular, Backbone, Node.js, or your Ruby stack with Rails, .NET, PHP, even Flash, iOS, anything. If they've got it all covered. You put it in there, it starts capturing the errors that your app throws, which it's definitely throwing some, believe me, uh, and lets you know about them. So not only so you need to know what these errors are in order to fix them, gives you the stack trace and all that, it groups them intelligently too. So if your app is like throwing like thousands of this one kind of error, but it's kind of minor, it's good to know. It's not. It's it's good to not get an email about the, every single time that error happens thousands of times. That's annoying. You know you need to fix it, but maybe it's lower priority than some other kind of bug. It allows you to prioritize and that type of thing. It integrates with like Slack and... Jira tickets and all that type of stuff too so you kind of get to decide like okay put this type of error here or whatever it allows you to you know fit gives you the information you need to fix the errors that are happening in your app and prioritize them and know about them and, but not be too annoyed by them and stuff like that just a couple of lines of code to integrate into your app whatever that app is Oh, it's kind of amazing software. Thank you, Rollbar. Again, the URL is rollbar.com slash shop talk show $87 value to sign up for their bootstrap plan for free. This is one that people learn when you're, when you're first learning about AMP. This is one of the first things you learn, right? Oh, this it's like a subset of HTML, kind of. There's some things that you can't do. And here's a here's a big one. Uh images aren't IMG anymore. They're AMP-IMG, which is a custom element, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way, like, so if I have an AMP 
chunk of AMP HTML, uh, and I look at it in a web browser, and for any reason that the JavaScript doesn't load or whatever, like I'm on a plane even, and like I don't have internet access, the, the browsers natively have no idea what AMP-image is, right? So you just will see nothing. It'll just kind of ignore that element. The JavaScript is required for that image to, to do anything, and that JavaScript library makes the custom element work, which ultimately I'm sure the browser ends up seeing an IMG tag and making the thing work or whatever. Can you speak to that? Like that's and and it's like that JavaScript library isn't like something you package up and build, and it doesn't it isn't it a hundred percent required that it has to be a Google CDN URL that. Well, uh, it's required that we know that the JavaScript library hasn't been messed with. Oh, I see. <laughs> so that so that it's clear that um, you know that it's clear that the page is going to be fast, right? Because if you run it from your own CDN or from your own server, you could extend it with any sort of JavaScript. And we would basically also need to validate the byte size of the JavaScript and, and, and pull that from the from your own domain all the time. And it would it would probably be possible, but certainly more difficult. What do you so do that, when you're working on you on 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 your personal website offline? Mm-hmm. Can you, or do you? Are you just like ah, the images don't load, no big deal. But, or do you like load an alternate library for localhost and load? The- That's actually a fair question. So in my case, uh, when I when I work on AMP pages, I usually have a service worker. So uh, the service worker caches caches the AMP library uh, locally, and therefore I can just work fine locally. Uh, that that is usually what I do. Um, of course, you can also just grab a local copy for your development purposes and that will work as well. Okay. But but yeah, I mean I I just go the service worker route usually. But at the yeah, going back to the question about the AMP image tag. So, first of all, the AMP image tag exists because uh this might be a useful context because uh AMP needs to control the rendering pipeline uh and the the load pipeline. So, um uh what AMP does, AMP creates a static layout system on the page. So AMP, before any elements, external elements have loaded, any assets, AMP knows exactly how the page will lay out. And that's because the AMP image element always has to have a width and height defined. Uh, there's no way that a loading image could alter the layout of a page. Um, and that's super, super important to, to make uh, informed decisions about pre-rendering. So that a platform can say, pre-render just the first viewport of a page with all of its assets, but don't pre-render the rest of the nine pages. Uh, sorry, the the, the nine be, yeah below the fold yeah. uh, parts of the page. And and so with a normal image tag, we just couldn't guarantee that. Um, of course, we could still. Uh, and the other thing is that we couldn't really control the the uh, load pipeline either. We couldn't say okay. Um, we don't want to load the the image assets as first. We want to load something else first, um, and and so we couldn't make all of those guarantees with a normal image tag. There are some interesting ways to do similar things with Service Worker, but they unfortunately, um, yeah, they're it's kind of like you have to trick to the browser into to, to all this stuff because it's it's kind of like you know because Google's so involved, you could make just a fork of Blink or whatever that just did smarter stuff in this regard, but that's not like a f- very web-friendly way to go about this, right? It was... Yeah, that's probably not the most web-friendly way. And uh, honestly, I mean, the, the the people who work on AMP, um, uh, 
are usually very web friendly and want the web to win. And so that wouldn't be the right path. The, I think the, a better path is to isolate those things, like the static layouting system, and propose a standard and propose a way to do this for everyone on the web. Uh, that's a really hard problem because, you know, just going to the CSS working group and saying, hey, I want to change all of CSS. Is that cool? <laughs> um, is, is just going to take a long time. Yeah. But, but it's not, it's not a, uh, impossible. It's just a very difficult uh, problem. But yeah, with, with AMP image, one solution that we have that, that we're working on, um, which I think could be uh, an, an interesting solution to this problem, um, is to, to, uh, to use the cache to expand the web components and render them server-side uh, before they actually get uh, to, uh, to load on the, on the client. So that means that the image will already be there, um, and and uh, all that the AmpJS library then needs to do is to in initialize the already expanded web components. So basically, server-side rendered web components. That's at least one idea that I think could work in this scenario, where then the image would still load. But uh, I just wanted to say this is absolutely valid criticism: the fact that currently the image doesn't load when when AMP just fails to I load. I did load is, your site with JavaScript turned off just to check it out. It's not like a disaster. It's not like you can't see anything at all. Uh, pretty much the only thing I noticed on your website was that the image wasn't there. That seemed to be the one thing that was broken, which is... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the content should still work. We have a fallback, uh, a CSS fallback in the header that uh, shows the page after realizing that AMP didn't load um, really quickly. So at least the content should still be there, most of the content. Anecdotally, I just feel like I, I'm on a lot of AMP sites and those images below the fold like never load. I, I don't know if that's a bug or if it's solved or whatever, but I just I do notice like I'm scrolling, scrolling, and then there's just these like white like blank spots in the page. Is there any chance those blank spots are supposed to be ads, perhaps? <clears throat> Pod. I was going yeah. to say that possibly, but it, there's usually like our, I don't know. It's like a image ad sandwich, so I don't really know. <laughs> okay, so very very likely. So uh, a Bob is right here. Uh, very likely those those blank spaces are usually ads. Mm -hmm. And are they ads uh, that probably load up like adservice.com slash rlibrary.js and AMP just doesn't allow that, so that JavaScript doesn't load, and thus that chunk of HTML just doesn't get what it's supposed to get inside of it. Um, Bob can probably talk in more detail about this because she's converting them uh, all the time. But I think this is mostly a conversion mistake. And also, so I think there are two, two issues here. One is a conversion mistake, which Bob can talk about. And the other one is uh, simply the fact that um, AMP pages load so quick that um, very often the ads just are loading so slow that, um, that the user won't yeah. see them. When they're moving yeah, on. yeah. So it's it's a you're right. It's it's a few things. Um, so you know, one you know, one is is the the deferred load of ads uh, that Paul was talking about earlier, uh, because the content is deemed to be more important and a higher priority, and the content is AMP validated. The content of the page will load first, then the ads will load. Um, and so ads are already okay. loading after the content. Now that that latency. Um, is, is, is actually exacerbated by a couple of other factors. Um, one, uh, is publishers do often have an ad waterfall, 
Um, so it, you know, it may take a couple of few seconds um, to deliver the ad that was called. Um, another is, you know, there is some way to get ads on these sites, right? And, and so, yeah, and so we should talk about AMP4 ads, which will be a solution to some of this. Um, but, uh, you know, just kind of want to hit a couple other points. Um, uh-huh. You know, so there's definitely the perception issue. So even if the ad loads at the same speed as it would on a standard page, it looks slower because the content was so fast by comparison. Ah, uh, perceived performance. Uh, last episode. Yeah, and and then and then another is uh, that um, AMP will not call an ad until it is, I believe, within or not load an ad until I believe it's within two and a half viewports of the user. Um, so whereas on your typical on your standard page. Uh, as soon as the user hits that page, it may load a bunch of ads at the very bottom of the page that you will never see, um, which is another, you know, sort of, which is, which is a problem with the old way of doing things. Um, but because AMP, um, waits until the user is close to the ad position to load the ad, um, you know, that, that may impact latency as well. We should say it's a big deal, right? Because you know who cares about AMP is people who make content on the web, publishers. And publishers live and die by ads. So it's it's number one big deal. And, and, and here's the, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and sort of the interesting thing about that is that um, we see, and there, there's a, there are a lot of case studies out there as well that will support this, um, that uh, ads on AMP pages have a high, significantly higher viewability rate um, viewability being defined typically as, you know, at least 50% of the ad is on the screen for a second, I believe. Um, so a higher viewability rate, often by 30 or, 4 per, 30 or 40% than ads on non-AMP pages. Um, because AMP is not going to load the ad until you're close to it, there's a, there's a better chance you'll see it. So if you're selling advertising with uh, you know, some guarantee around viewability or an exp- expectation around viewability, AMP actually performs better. But if you're selling just volumes of ads, just pure tonnage, where you're getting paid on two or three ads that load at the bottom of the page that no one ever sees, that explains, and again, I'm not saying it's rational or good, but that explains why some publishers are kind of having a sort of hard time measuring the performance of, of AMP versus non-AMP for revenue. Let's go down this path for a minute. You're probably already selling ads on the like a, a site like Vox, just because it helps us to have a something to, to to think about and use here. Who I think are probably, if not already using AMP, are interested in it. Uh, I, I bet they are. Uh, you go there and you look at all the JavaScript that's loaded. That's a part of their advertising situation. I can look because I can see them in Ghostery right here as I happen to use that. Amazon Associates, AppNexus, Chartbeat, DoubleClick, Moat, OpenX, Outbrain, Quantcast, mm-hmm. Rubicon. There's a massive list of these things. Is Does some of this got to go? Can you get all of these kind of converted over into happy amp land? Or or, or is there like a one prescribed solution for this? Like, how can they keep these relationships alive? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's, again, that's one of the unique aspects, the, the sort of the, the ecosystem participation in AMP is one of the things that I, that gives publishers a chance of reaching or surpassing revenue parity. Most of those vendors, and if you go to the AMP project website, uh, there's a list of participating vendors. Most of those companies that you just mentioned are participating in AMP. Now, that means some of them actually have, you know, uh, AMP enabled versions of their products um, live in production on publisher websites today. 
Some of them are still in sort of stages of developing their AMP-enabled products. Um, there are certainly some advertising technologies and formats that AMP just won't allow or that will have to work differently on AMP. Um, but a surprising number of those um, are actually providing, uh, you know, AMP-enabled components, um, you know, which, which users may not love, but are contributing, you know, important revenue to publishers. Do, do AMP components kind of have a bias towards Google properties? I mean, uh, I think AMP launched with AMP YouTube, you know, but uh, if I use Twitch for my streaming, there's not an AMP Twitch element, right? I think, uh, I think with AMP YouTube, uh, this is actually an interesting question that I haven't gotten before. So this is, this is cool. Uh, or, so AMP, or AMP pornography site, whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, there's lots, not just Twitch, and, and but it just seems like already, like we've built in a competitive advantage for Google properties. That's sort yeah. of the, so, the insinuation I'm making. Interesting question. So AMP YouTube, I think, um, is probably not a great uh, uh, case because in this case, you could ar argue that AMP YouTube just that YouTube just has the highest value of uh, and the, the highest volume of, uh, of videos that people consume on the web. And so that YouTube, regardless of whether it's built by Google or not, would probably be the, the first candidate for online video to implement. But we also have M Vimeo, you know, and, uh, and the, the one thing that I can say, though, is that, of course, there is an advantage to uh, being a Google employee and having internal contacts that you can reach out to uh, for instance, when you want to implement something uh, uh, with the Google Analytics thing and and have a question, so uh, that certainly makes things easier. However, in general, uh, for all tags, we're depending on contributions from the outside. Some f very early on, we created some of those very important third-party tags ourselves, but we don't really do that anymore. Um, for any third-party app. Uh, a third-party component, even if it is uh, a Google uh, component, we now ask the team behind it to actually create a pull request and submit it to the AMP project. Is that is that a scalable thing? I mean, you're talking hundreds or thousands, millions of video sites. I mean, doesn't that increase the size of AMP? And at some point, it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work on the JavaScript library. Well, it it does. We'll have to see if it's a scalable thing. So far, it has been. Uh, well, it's not. It's definitely more scalable that way than if we did it all ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we definitely have to wait for the pull requests to come in. But um, but uh, it also doesn't mean that the AMP library itself grows and grows and grows. Those are components that you have to load uh, separately. So the uh, uh, JavaScript uh, scripts that. Um, uh, additions to the main AMP core library. So if you want to do AMP YouTube, for instance, on a page, you have to load a special AMP YouTube script and include it in the head of the page. Okay, so it's kind of an on-demand. Yeah. Um, okay. This episode is brought to you in part by CodePen. I'm CodePen. I'm one of the co-founders of CodePen, if you didn't know that. Did you know that we have a podcast all about CodePen and like what it's like running a startup business like CodePen on the web these days? We do. It's called CodePen Radio. You can subscribe to it at, it's like part of our blog, so it's at blog.codepen.io slash radio. And of course, it's on iTunes and you can subscribe to it on Android through any various apps or whatever, just like Shop Talk Show. 
Uh, and we have lots of episodes for it. I think we've recorded 115 episodes now and about all kinds of topics, super nerdy server stuff about how that's run to to more like how we think about our business in the community of CodePen, how we plan projects. We had a whole 10-part series where we talked to other companies that have some kind of similarity to CodePen, like Roost and Dribble and Slides.com and Zapier. Uh, really interesting conversations with those companies kind of kind of just a little bit ago we wrapped up that series uh, yeah so CodePen is a code editor in the browser and it's a really complicated web app we talk about all those things on CodePen Radio so check that out my struggle and I think a lot of like developers of or like that listen to this show probably kind of are in the same boat it, it's I know how to make websites I know how to make fast websites I you know, I, I can make a pretty fast website. It's not Google CDN fast, but it's pretty fast. Uh, and I try to make those for my clients. They mm-hmm. kind of uh, sometimes go AWOL, but that, that, that's what happens. Um, the, uh, so what, what, I guess I had two part question. What is the, like, what is the benefit for me uh, of doing an amp site? Is it just the Google carousel? And then what's the penalty if I don't, is it, I am theoretically demoted then in in search results so you're not demoted first of all um amp is not a ranking factor okay um so so whether you publish a normal website or not an or an an amp website doesn't change ranking uh but um but yeah this is a question that i hear a lot of course because i i'm working with developers on a daily basis uh, outside developers and uh and i would have had the same question and uh, so I've, I, I've done performance outreach for many, many years now, um, developer performance outreach uh, to talk about, you know, layout, rendering, all sorts of things. Um, but, but at some point, I realized that I was preaching to the choir, <laughs> that, you know, that it wasn't really a problem of, I, I always thought that the, the reason why we have slow websites um, that I'm consuming on the mobile web is that developers are... I don't know, stupid or not capable of building them or whatever, but but that wasn't the reasoning. That I went to those conferences time and time, and you know, uh, people were actively listening and happy for all of the things they were told, but already knew most of the things that I told them. And so it's not the developers who don't want to build fast websites; it's the business incentives and uh, managers of publishers who for short-term retention gains, uh, sorry, for short-term gains, make decisions that are in contrast to the user experience. And so uh, um, if if the manager of your company says, I need to load those two new analytics libraries because th- some of the numbers don't add up, right? I mean, what do you say as a developer? Right? We give them this a choice. This is very we funny to think about it in this light, you know? It's like n- nerds <laughs> were sick of their websites getting slaughtered, so they invented a technology that managers can't screw up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that that really is, that's a very good summary. It's exactly right. And, and I'll tell you, I've had this, this, I mean, this resonates so well. I've had the same conversation with digital managers. Who, you know, they're not the developers. Um, they're the digital lead, but they have the same challenge within their or, own organization is that no one is control, you know, in control in, in, in terms of sort of mediating or, or let me say this, no, so the prioritization of, of user experience and performance is rare. It typically is the business needs of the organization and it is the law of the commons. And it's 
all kinds of stakeholders within their organization wanting to add things to the page and nothing ever gets removed. And, you know, they have been delighted with the opportunity with AMP to create, you know, to start with a clean canvas. And so, so I think, I think Paul is, is right on. And again, the other piece of it that, you know, that I keep going back to is even if you inside your own organization are able to get consensus that you are going to uphold performance and user experience. If you are a, you know, publisher with any kind of sophisticated, uh, you know, uh, you know, business operation, you still have this mesh of third parties that you need to work with and integrate into your sites. And so if, you know, if, if, if their code, which typically those are the worst violators, um, you know, if their code is, is big and ugly and yours is nice and clean, it's sort of, you know, your effort didn't really matter um, once you have to add all those, you know, th those other components in. And so, you know, that's, that's why, you know, I like, you know, I'm looking at the AMP project page right now and there's like a hundred ad tech companies that now have AMP enabled versions of their products, which is what makes the difference. Will we ever see those, those, like those tracking and analytics and ads that are, that are slowing things down. Are, are we going to see those practices come to like desktop or, or just regular websites or I guess you would think so. If there's a hundred sort of, companies like, that are like revamp doing some work to make amp versions of it. You'd think they'd learn something from that. Well, Although who knows? That, I mean, that's the hope. I mean, I would say, I mean, that's, that's what I, that's one of the outcomes that I hope come, you know, sort, sort of results from the first year or two of amp. Uh, is that, and there are already some case studies coming out that we can actually prove what, you know, I think that we rationally expect, which is that if you improve performance, you know, 10x or 20x, that you actually see a business impact. Um, and that that starts to shift the way, you know, that we approach product strategy, uh, you know, on, on the open web. And so, I, I mean, I think the answer is yes. And, um, you can build a beautiful desktop experience with AMP. Um, it, and it does, it's not just a mobile format. And so, so this is, this is, you know, a big reason why, why, uh, AMP exists, but then, um, there are other reasons. For instance, even if let's say everyone, all the managers of all the publishers in the world care about performance one day to the other, which is highly unlikely, but let's, let's presume that for a second. Uh, then, um, then, Generally, all the incentives should be aligned and everyone can build really fast websites. However, uh, there's still a lot of missing components that uh, need to become standards to enable uh, the, the last kind of performance optimizations that AMP does. So this includes the static layouting system. Uh, this includes the smart uh, pre-rendering. And, 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 and so there's, there's a few components that uh, AMP does, AMP solves, a few things that AMP solves that just do not exist on a web platform today that that would need to exist in order to to make that happen and the other and even if we have those in place we need to be able to measure performance efficiently so right now because of this constraint framework that we're providing you know that the amp library constrains what you can do and what you can't do on the site we can be reasonably sure that your page will be fast but measuring that any kind of web website um is fast is actually a much much harder problem. Um, you don't even know, you know, what kind of where to start. What kind of numbers are the right numbers? Is it is it page load? Is it uh, time to interactive? Is it time to first paint? All of those things could be uh, different for different kind of verticals. So it's super hard to make uh, general generalized assumptions about whether a page is fast and user friendly. And 
uh, I just can I can just I can say from from a Google perspective, we're just not there yet. We don't we don't have the tools required to measure efficiently whether a page actually is fast or not and perceived as fast. So we have the mobile friendliness thing where you know we look at uh, uh, page speed insights, but that's really more uh, a rule book for things that are guaranteed to make your make your site slow if you don't do them. But it's not a guarantee for for actually having a perceived fast site. There's a few things I want to touch on before we get because there's there's so much interesting things to talk about here. One of them is from this publisher's perspective, I think this conversation is always part of a slightly larger one, which is just like, I just want to publish my stuff where people are going to read it kind of, kind of thing. And like AMP is one of those things, but timing wise or whatever, maybe it's just in the air, in the water, there's, there's, there's AMP like things out there and, it, and they're often talked about together. Right. So it's like, I want to, I'll make an AMP site, whatever, fine. If it's going to, if more people are going to read it, if my website's going to be fast, I'm a publisher, fine, cool. I'll make an AMP site, whatever. The, but they also think that same way about Apple news and instant articles and Google news stand and all of it like if we're gonna do it let's just do all of it right uh do you do you find that mostly the case like if you're vox you're like amp fine great apple news cool let's do it instant articles i'm in you know like i just like we're willing to we just think of it as syndication is amp just another syndication um i would say no but depending on who you ask i mean uh it's certainly true that a lot of big companies uh have cmss and pipelines that uh, you know that where the default thinking is, yeah, I'm just going to add another render target um, that that you know becomes a third syndication format or something. Um, now, I'm really afraid of this, and I'm I'm I, I blocked about it before, um, um, and and so I I think uh, one of the things that I'd I'd rather not see is another M dot web another another separate right. that's part definitely a part of the internet that, like you know we went through responsive web design and one of the big selling points that everybody was so excited about is that it reduced two code bases to one code base in a lot of cases and now it's like now oh, we're back to two code bases yeah so we have a it's a tricky issue to solve because we have sort of a chicken egg problem right now the the platforms that enable amp experiences in particular google um does not have any experiences for amp that also work on desktop so, like, if you if you do a desktop search, you don't see the top stories carousel, and you don't see uh, AMP in the blue links. Um, we also would have a hard time doing this right now because the AMP uh, pages that are currently built are mostly not responsive. <laughs> so, so um, an experience that would launch on desktop would currently just not work, uh, and 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 I'm very concerned about this, which is why I'm. I'm going to talk more and more about AMP on desktop and and making sure that people can see templates that show them that you can build a whole site in AMP. Yeah, and, and I think I think adding to the challenge of this particular time or stage of AMP's evolution is that uh, so so we work with a large number of news publishers um, of all sizes, and typically AMP is you know perhaps uh, somewhere between five to ten percent of their mobile views today, um, and you know five to ten percent is enough to care about it, but for many of them it's not enough to put in the effort that you need to optimize it and do it well, 
Uh, and so that's certainly what Relay Media does on behalf of our, our publisher customers. But there are a lot of publishers who are doing it on their own, who, you know, for it's sort of for at that level of nascency um, are, you know, are just thinking of it very tactically. They flipped a switch. They made an AMP page. They probably haven't touched it in months. Um, and so it ends up being kind of a bare bones, underperforming experience instead of what it could be. This is kind of what they want, right, is to not do a lot of work. Yeah. That's kind of one of my questions is, and, and, it, and it's, it's, it's important to you, Barb, I would think, because it's, you know, you're in, in a sense, you've created a company that's banking on it being hard enough that people want help. Well, you know, I think, I think, you know, long term, we see so many opportunities to use the AMP format to build other products and develop out our business. So, you know, if in a couple years, AMP is a standard and you don't need a converter like ours, we'll be happy. Um, but in the short term, we're supporting a lot of, you know, publishing and some very pre you know, premium publishers who have their own development teams who could do AMP, but recognize because AMP is developing at such a rapid rate right now with new features and capabilities and integrations coming out all the time that they prefer to leave it to us to manage it. And, you know, we give them a truly optimized AMP experience. Uh, but you know, that a seems lot nice. Because, for example, I, I could, I think I've turned it off for some reason or another. But it's very, as you know, I have this blog, CSSTricks.com. I can just install the WordPress default plugin that makes AMP work. Actually, there's a couple of them to choose from. Mm -hmm. I think now, and I get, I get, it puts the link tag in the header, and now I have an AMP version of the page. But it doesn't look anything like exactly. CSS Trick. Yeah, exactly. So. See, that's, I would love to know what goes into making a good AMP site. Cause I think we've all experienced that. You click on this link and you're like, ooh, that's not the website I know and love. That's not the Vox I yeah. know and love. This is what, what yeah. happened. Yeah. And, and what, what goes into making it? And, and you know, I think so from a, in terms of the, you know, what does a good AMP page looks like, look like? I think you've just encapsulated it. It should look like your page. Um, and it should have those things that drive onward engagement. One of the biggest gaps is that publishers will make an AMP page that has no links in it, has no navigation, has nothing that the user can click to next. Well, of course, that's not going to perform at the same level of your in as your standard page. So, you know, in terms of what the outcome should be, is it should look like your site, it should have all the styling of your site, it should have your navigation, it should have you know, your link circulation and all those elements, um, you know, in terms of, of how to do how to do that. And again, Paul may be able to speak to that more. Um, but, you know, it's really on, on our end, we will read, you know, your entire Web page, all the CSS on your page. And we've just built a lot of things that will p take that large, uh, you know, sort of, you know, very large uh, standard Web page with all your CSS and just figure out how to cram it down until it fits, you know, AMP's limitations. That's pretty cool. That seems like kind of a, almost a better way to approach it instead of starting from the ground up and just taking the just the content and slapping it into a boring. That's what uh, most convert. Yeah, that's what most kind of off the shelf right. converters and plugins do is they'll extract the content and stick it into a yeah you know a sort of a. a but it's like because AMP is so specific about what it wants, it's like starting from the top is almost better because then it's like just you know slice out the stuff that that isn't compatible and you're still left with that's, hopefully something that's that what, works yeah, pretty well. That, that's basically it. Uh, and then and then you know if there are things that are you know if they're JavaScript things like comments or you know sort of other elements that you know that won't convert, then we'll just sub you know we'll either hide them or we'll substitute an HTML element that will work. And in the case of WordPress, by the way, um, so one of the one of the issues with uh, with uh, plugins and CMSs is currently that they, well, they make it 
on the good it's a good side they make it easy to do to do amp on the other side uh, they actually uh, usually create a, a default theme that looks nothing like your block and uh, and do some automatic attempt some automatic conversion whereas for instance on on my own block you know that you looked at earlier um, the the entire page is amp and I, I'm actually using WordPress and I'm using a customized version of the plugin that adds the ability to to do canonical amp to do just not do the separate path but actually you know convert the entire page not even not even convert just use the entire page as amp and use the amp library um, but of course then as a as a as a maintainer of the page you need to make sure that none of the plugins that you have installed uh, actually add any JavaScript to the theme uh, and so most of them do so you have to be very uh, uh, very much focused on providing the right validated experience so uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done there to actually uh, make those plugins uh, do the right thing by default uh, and we're working with with a few of them including WordPress to to make things a little bit uh, better in the future could you be wrong Paul, could you, of all the work you're doing, because there's so, you know, this is highly controversial. There's people out there that say this is bad for the web. Could they be right and you be wrong? Or do you, do you, do you lay awake at night thinking about that? Or are you pretty darn sure you're right? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this every night, actually. <laughs> I, I think it's a very fair question. I think, so, I mean, you, you know, you probably know my work from a couple of years back. I'm a, I'm, I see myself as sort of a steward of for the web, and I, I'm, I'm very much the web is very much dear to my heart. It's my whole career is built on the web, and so I very, worry very much about the impact AMP has on the web. And um, I, I don't think that all of the uh, components that the AMP ecosystem provides are the right solutions to the problem. So, for instance, the AMP cache, right? Uh, the, the fact that you're seeing a Google.com URL, I don't think is the optimal solution to the problem. <laughs> I think it's, 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 it's a side effect that is actually not amazing. <laughs> um, but, but so I had a lot of conversations um, internally and externally and on, on email threads with, uh, with people like all of you uh, about... Uh, you know the things that keep keep developers up at night um, that they think uh, AMP does not in the right way, and uh, I often agree with almost all of them. But then again, I, I I respond, well, can you come up with something better? And the answer is usually no. So I think we had two choices here when we started out with AMP uh, more than a year ago. Either you know let the web fix itself. And, and wait and see what happens. Um, we had a pretty high feeling, uh, gut feeling, that the web wouldn't fix itself. That the, the state of the mobile web for users was already so bad that uh, it wouldn't fix itself. And so we did the other thing, which is, let's build something that can at least fix those issues in the short term. Might not be the ideal solution long term, but can fix those issues in the short term. That's at least how I see it. Uh, and and again, I uh, and I think uh, you probably expected. I hope you expected a, 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 a PR answer, and I hope you didn't get one. But I really, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm very sensitive about this, and I it keeps me up at night. 
And well, if the you know, I want AMP to is see still kind of the web. I mean, I mean, it is the it uses those. AMP is based on the web. So right? there's this theoretical future the in which the web has lost, and the question is, what do you lose it to? And and losing it, quote unquote, losing it to AMP is possibly still better than losing it to native apps or something. That could be true, but you know, honestly, I think the ideal outcome would not be AMP becoming a standard. The ideal outcome would be AMP convincing every publisher out there that performance matters and then uh, convincing all the web community that we need a set of new standards to enforce performance uh, and user experience so that uh, we can hit two birds with a stone, uh, create those new standards and evolve AMP into a natural part of the web that really, you know, I, I believe that in if we do everything correctly, then uh, in, in a few years, no one will talk about AMP anymore and we just have a beautiful, fast, user-friendly web. What do you think, Barb? Yeah, is, is, I, could AMP be wrong? I, I, I violently agree. Um, I, you know, I, think, you know, the, I think the question I ask is, it's, it, I don't know if it's could AMP be wrong because, as Paul said, I mean, what we have today seems unsustainable. Uh, and so my, you know, the, I think the, you know, the question that keeps me up at night is really has to centers around some of the, you know, misperceptions and misunderstandings around AMP. I think that if the, if the, the publishing community and the broader ecosystem sort of thought about AMP in the way that we've been discussing it, as opposed to some, you know, sort of closed off sandbox that Google's trying to create, you know, but, but rather a lot of people who believe that user experience will be better and business experience will be better on the open web with a faster, you know, faster, lighter, cleaner internet. Um, you know, th that it, to me, it's, it's, that's the, the question is, well, enough of the ecosystem recognize that that's what we're trying to accomplish and actually start to see the benefits of doing that, that this thing takes on a life of its own and then turns into whatever it needs to be. All right. Thanks. Well, I think that's a, yeah, that's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Paul and Barb. Um, let's go real quick. If people aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? We'll start with Barb. <laughs> Where can people follow you? Sure. Come, you come to us at relaymedia.com. Um, and from there, you'll get all of our contact info and see some examples of our AMP conversion. Cool. And uh, Paul, how can people find you and uh, give you money? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter, uh, PBAKAUS, uh, and and uh, I'm also responding on the AMP HTML Twitter account. Um, so please contact me there, but also um, ampproject.org to learn more about AMP, paulbackhouse.com if you want to see what the what we just talked about, you know, the canonical AMP block example. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Really, uh, thank y'all for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. Uh, that's how people find out about the show. And if you have feelings about AMP, you can post them in our comments. But the best thing you could do is take a smidge of humility and post something on your own blog. Uh, not Don't just tweet storm it into a silo. Go, go support the open web because I think that's what we all uh, agree upon. So uh, thank you uh, again. And if you hate your job, have it at shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. Get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. And uh, Chris, oh boy, you got anything else for us? Shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>